Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today, back in the Zoom room, my good mate, clinical psychology registrar, quite a mouthful, the awesome Ben Schiller. How are you, Ben? Hey, Daddy. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm so fantastic. Thank you for doing this today. I messaged you on a Sunday morning going, Oi, I want to talk about this. And (laughs) Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, great to have you back. You're always one of the favourites, so fantastic. How's life going for you at the moment? I'm good. I'm busy. Um, my life is full. Thankfully, my work is full, which is which is the part of my life that I absolutely love. Because um, you're awesome. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to answer your question, I'm, my world is good. Thank you. What's um because you've been in recovery for a while, Ben, and we've probably talked about this once before. But just as a little refresher, what's your daily morning ritual look like for you? What's the sort of doing the work? component for you uh it's it's changed over the time like in june i was 11 years sober and these days my morning routine consists of getting up and sitting having a coffee in a really quiet space and um for about half an hour and i can be doing anything from reading to journaling to just surfing something on the internet you know like it's not all uh, deep work that I'm doing in that half an hour period but definitely waking up and having a half an hour of just me time and invariably I I live in a place where the ocean and there's a natural reserve quite close to my house and the ocean's very close to my house and about five times a week, or it's probably not that much because I have my daughter, but w- when I don't have my daughter, which is four mornings a week, I'm down down on the beach, whether there's waves or not. And that's really, yeah, those two things, the quiet time and the beach time, are vital. You do it too, don't you? I've seen your Instagram, like you're a beach, beach goer. Not everyone can get to a beach, but just getting yeah. somewhere quiet and grounding, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. I just, I find it just good to just get out into nature. So, or just out for a walk, like really early in the morning just gets me going. So I've just been in Victoria for a week and, you know, I was walking around Lake Eildon, which is beautiful, but fucking freezing. <laughs> it's like 
like had all the layers on and just like, oh, I like the Michelin man walking around this lake first thing in the morning. But it, I just need it. I just have to have that time to myself and just that clears the mind and feels good. And yeah, the fresh, the fresh air on your face really, really helps. So yeah, that's good. I'm interested because I know that you used to have like a quite a big meditation practice and, you know, I always would see you on the beach when you lived next door. So yeah. Yeah, I think over time, like I, the meditation practice comes and goes. For me, I um, fall in and out of it as a practice. So it's really effective. <laughs> so, so I'm not 100% sure why I deprioritize it, but but it, yeah, certainly something that, that comes in and out depending on what I've got going on. And uh, I've noticed I seem to pick meditation up when I'm stuck up in my head. And I'm a bit stressed and anxious, but if I'm running okay, I I tend to use my time on the beach as a, a walk on the beach as a form of meditation, mm. and my walk in the reserve that I live beside. That's for me. That's a form of meditation as well. And uh, I guess it's changed from sitting on my bum and doing specific breath cycles uh, mm. to something that's probably a little bit more active. So, Ben, the reason I wanted to get you on today was to talk about how does one know if one has a problem with booze? And I like I spent so much time on Google going, am I an alcoholic? And, you know, and checking out like, what does it mean if I've had a blackout and all these things? And I wanted to dive in and have a look at this tool that a lot of therapists use, which is a, a diagnostic tool, I guess, to, I guess, diagnose someone with alcohol use disorder. But what I find really interesting, because it sounds all very full on and very serious and alcohol use disorder, rah, rah, rah. I mean, I was just a binge drinker, right? So, but what, when I've read this criteria, I'm like, oh, tick, tick, fucking tick, oh, fuck, tick. <laughs> like, oh my God, I think I was that. So not to scare anyone, but I think it's really good to kind of break these down. And I just want to share with our own experiences. And so for people listening, if they listen and go, oh, shit, tick, 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 tick. And maybe that might help them, I guess, decide which way they want to go with it after maybe after they've heard this conversation. Oh, look, I think it's a great idea to have a bit of a chat about the criteria that makes up alcohol use disorder. I think a lot of people, including myself, when I drank, didn't necessarily see the drinking as problematic or and and mainly because I was a bit delusional, and I think a lot of people are, um, if I can say that respectfully, yeah. um, uh, around their alcohol consumption and the behaviours that surround their drinking. And I find when someone addresses the criteria, as in goes through the criteria and answers it honestly, then we've got a clinical characterization of the behavior of drinking like it is classed as a mental disorder and alcohol use disorder another way to look at it is it's alcohol dependency you know just just to sim- simplify it yeah well the D, the diagnostic and statistics manual which is where the criteria come from that's that's a manual of mental disorders wow. well i you know like i think it's 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 a habituated behavior drinking like an eating disorder and like hoarding Hmm. like a lot of the avoidant behaviors that you find in social anxiety or panic disorder and uh, i think the cool thing is 
just allows us to be very clinical and go, all right, you meet this many of the criteria, this is what we're going to class it as. And for me, I think what probably helps people with with the diagnosis, not that I tend to use it a lot, but people that are struggling to come to some type of self-honesty, it, it really helps you go, oh, okay, this is a problem. And... And obviously, it's self-reporting, so it's relying. We're relying on someone's telling us the tr- truth or giving us an accurate answer to, to the criteria. But uh, but the idea behind it is not to label anyone. It's just to help people go. Oh, okay. Like I'm meeting that criteria. I need to do something about it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Okay. That's so fantastic. Thanks, Ben. And look, so I know for me, I was drinking. You know, I was a classic binge drinker, so I could go a few weeks. And then and not drink, and then drink and boom, have the biggest night, massive blackout, flash my boobs to everyone, you know the you know the, you know the drill. <laughs> Sometimes four nights a week, and yes. you know, yeah. and all of the above. Some nights I'd go to bed with a cup of tea and feel okay, and other nights I'd wake up going, "What the fuck just happened? Who did I call?" So it was it was quite varied, but it was never the daily drinking. And for you, how did your drinking look? Uh, for for a long time, like ten years, uh, I, I was very similar. Like I, I I drank on weekends and uh, probably for longer than ten years actually. But then I noticed I started to get drunk midweek. And by the way, I held a professional job down right up until the final six months before I stopped drinking. I was drinking, having big binges on weekends, getting drunk at home uh, on a Wednesday night, or or I might go to a bar after work or something like that. But in the end, I was drinking morning, noon and night. And yeah, it was very much daily. If I didn't drink, it was probably because I was either on a flight somewhere or or so hungover, I, I couldn't bear the sight of it or the smell of it. But it, it it escalated into to something much more. But I, I, I don't I don't see that necessarily as being worse than like a binge cycle because I feel like the damage that's done from a binge cycle is is quite extensive. Mm, talk to me a bit about that before we go on to the. System. Well, if you think about our nervous systems and and our memories. Our nervous systems tend to like routine. They they regulate well with routine, which is why like a lot of your program suggestions are based on routine and and I think people respond really well to that. And and that's that's based on the fact that our, our nervous systems just like to know what's coming in, what's going out, what sleep's happening, what what levels of stress are happening day to day. And um when we have a binge cycle, or, or sorry, when we're in a cycle of binge drinking, we're absolutely dysregulating our, or, or smashing, is a better way to put it, our nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you might have gone two weeks and your nervous system finds some form of equilibrium and then all of a sudden it's like, bang. And and there's an, like two or three days of, of of the bang and um you think about 
what that does to your nervous system, the amount of anxiety that would be created within the nervous system, the corresponding depression that comes after that is significant. And also, I'm not quoting literature here or research, but the impact on our memories at the binge drinking cycle is also significant. You know, like your memory starts to get used to the lack of alcohol in your system and then all of a sudden it's like, bang, again. I'm not saying it's a bigger impact than everyday drinking on your memory, but you think about your, your brain and, and it's in similar fashion to the impact on your nervous system. It's, it's significant. And people, like you said, talk about memory loss, uh, sorry, blackouts you, you mentioned before, Danny, and you know, that's, that's the memory system shutting down. So. Yeah, look, I feel like because I would lose so much of the night and it got worse and worse and worse, I just could not get my head around it. I'm like, what is going on? Like, and, and, you know, not remembering conversations, but it didn't just stop there too. I I think it's fucked with my memory a bit and it's getting better now, but I still have to be really conscious and um, I have to work on it a little bit, I've noticed. Does it repair, Ben? Does that part of your brain repair over time? I think it, yeah, I think it does. Once we start to fire up neural pathways that bring us, take us back to certain memories, um, particularly the emotions attached to certain memories, then then the memory does start to improve again, or, or we're able to access those memories, which is a sign of improvement. It's strange. I um, in June, just around my anniversary of getting sober. I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about how much I'd harmed myself, like how much I'd flogged myself in, in the latter part of my, my drinking. And and for some reason, my memory just started presenting these images 11 years into it of the despair role, is it? And I, I see that as a good thing. Like I see it as my memory kind of going, oh, hey, like there's these things that happen back here. We want to present, I want to present it to you. And, mm-hmm. and I look at it and it brought up a lot of emotion for me. Like I was mm-hmm. um, quite uh, sad at, mm-hmm. at how much I damage I'd done to myself or how much I just hated myself. But I'd felt a lot of sadness and, and I see that as healthy. But I'd getting back to your question, I yeah, the memory does improve. It does start to return. But also, I don't want to make any promises there because some people will block memories from even before their excessive drinking. Like I'll I'll treat someone and we'll be going through their attachment history and maybe or maybe treating some trauma, and they're like, I don't remember anything of my childhood, mm. and it's. And it's, uh, I think, a strategy that someone develops to help protect them from painful memories. And for some people, the actually memories have just been, you know, buried. So yeah. I'm not 100% sure you can get back to them. So. Yeah, yeah, wow. All right, thanks, Ben. So let's jump into it then. So, okay, so it basically says here, so in the last 12 months, have you met any of these following criteria? So the first one, Ben is have you in the last 12 months, so let's take our minds back to when we were drinking for you. It's a bit of a stretch for me, it's five and a half years, but in, you know, and for people listening in the last 12 months or perhaps before when you're drinking, have you had times when you ended up drinking more 
for longer than you intended. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, every session. <laughs> ben, you? Uh, for me, in the end, I didn't intend to stop. Ah. Um, but a lot of, well, it's, it's, I, I think that's a telling point, you know, like I, I think I, I would back, back even before it got to the point where I was drinking daily, I would absolutely answer yes to this question. Like I would go out, for example, I was living in the UK and would, was working in the financial sector and we invariably would have a drink after work and I'd be, and I'd text my wife and say, Hey, um, just having a couple of pints, I'll be home by seven. And every single time <laughs> without fail, uh, I, I would have ordered cocaine and I'd arrive home between 10 and one o'clock. Mm. And I shouldn't say every single time because I do remember one time my wife being shocked that I actually arrived home when I said I would. So I would I would have absolutely answered yes to this question. So what what about you? Jeez, uh, you were seen in the doghouse a lot. Um, yeah, all the time. So I would always think to myself, I'm just going to have one, or I'm just going to have two, just a couple, and then it would just blow out into fuck knows what, like just an absolute shit show. Uh, most of the time, pretty much most sessions that I'd have, there was the occasional one, of course, where I'd be very controlled and just have one or two, but that took a lot of energy. But absolutely, if I if when I was drinking, I had to uh, um, answer that for the last twelve months. I would have said hell yes, like most of the time. So, all right, there's a big tick for both of us, Ben. In that in that twelve months, was there more than once you wanted to cut down or stop drinking or tried but couldn't, Ben? Uh yeah. Yes, would always want to have a break. I remember I used to try and have, I think, January where I wouldn't drink. They do it in July these days um, with dry July, but um, I'd, I'd get to the end of Christmas and New Year and, and just go, oh, I, I've absolutely hammered myself for the last three months. I need to try and have a month off. I would only last a week. Um, and, yeah, so yes. Yeah, so. Um. Yeah, it's a big yes for me too. Because pretty pretty much most times that I would wake up with anxiety, I'd be like, "That's it, I'm stopping." And gee, I think within the last few years, there was probably so many times where I try to a cut down, try to b stop altogether, and it just wouldn't work. So yeah, that's a big tick from both of us there. Then we're pretty fucked already, Ben. <laughs> Well, good thing when quit, buddy. Like when when you read them out, because I haven't looked at the criteria for a little while, and and when you read them out, like the last time you and I spoke, I talked about um, a particular schema that a lot of people have, which is insufficient self control. And it's funny going back to the criteria because when I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, I, I I couldn't tolerate stress, or I couldn't tolerate being without booze, or 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 even like you you mentioned with the first criteria there around control like I actually did, didn't couldn't gain any control you know like and um yeah it's it's good to do this it's good to go over them because it's there's there's so I think there's the illusion of control yeah yeah it is great I'm feeling like oh wow I'm, I'm really glad I quit it is good to look over this stuff 
Uh, absolutely. And I think because there's, you know, a few people in my grads group too, they're coming up to their one year and they're like, oh, should I moderate? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you should not. So um, this, this would be good for them. Um, okay. So number three, spent a lot of time drinking or being sick or getting, or being sick or getting over the after effects. Let me read that one again. Spent a lot of time drinking or being sick or getting over the after effects. So I'm assuming that's a hangover. Uh, Ben. Yeah, I didn't tend to get sick in the end because I was always drinking. So that solved that problem. Um, Mm. (laughs) Uh, but I'd say that's a yes, though. But like all my spare time was spent drinking in the end, and planning drinking. That was a big thing. Like I used to, used to be like, all right, I'd be at work, and I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna go home buy this off license or this bottle shop, and uh, or or we, you know. And I also remember my wife saying, like, becoming quite vulnerable and saying, I'm really bored. All we do is spend our weekends in the pub. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, I was sick often. Um, spend a lot of time drinking, yes, because, and like you, like that whole, the preparation that would go into it and then the time that would be spent drinking. I mean, it doesn't specify the amount of time here, but yeah, I guess I spent a lot of time drinking, yes, and spend a lot of time you know, half a day in bed, sometimes a full day in bed. So that's a yes. Three. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. Yeah. I think, okay. I think a good thing here to remember too, like if people are giving up work to get over a, a hangover or if they're actually not going to work because they're drinking, that's a big red flag. Absolutely. I think that's one of the criteria is coming up too. Oh, is that yeah. okay? Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Settle down. Settle down, Buster. <laughs> Okay, um, experienced a craving or a strong need or urge to drink. So within 12 months, um, yeah, experienced a craving, a strong need. This makes everyone an alcoholic, doesn't it? That's a good point. Like a lot of people experience cravings. Yeah, yeah, or a strong every, need or urge every to drink. Oh, totally. Every like, well, I know with people I coach, like on the way home from work on a Friday or there's an emotional upset or, you know, there's that, that urge to drink. Um, can be really strong. I mean, geez, I've had urges to drink in the last 12 months. I didn't do it, but I've had urges. So yeah, that's interesting. And, and had experienced a craving. Have you experienced any cravings at all? Like recently or? In sobriety, yes. Um, it hasn't happened a lot. Um, I think the times it has happened, there's been really distinct things happening like one one time around a year I was a year and a half sober and I was dr- actually driving a tractor for my father like he's got a, a ca- cattle and sugarcane farms and um and I did that for three weeks and no it wasn't a year and a half I was about six months sober and I, d- I did the tractor driving for three weeks and I got really bored like, because you're driving up and down cane rows, and and I was also listening to music from the 1990s, <laughs> and um, that'll do it. Um, 
which you know, and I and I and I I ended up leaving, had needing to get off the tractor and going home because uh, I wanted to drink this particular day. And um, someone, some I, I rang someone that was mentoring me at the time, and and he was like, "Oh, the music is actually a real trigger for can can be like a real trigger for for cravings, but really? more than anything, the boredom." Is is totally like because you can't tolerate boredom, mm. you you're wanting to do something to break out of it. And I just happened to go back to an old habit, which was uh, sorry, an old response to boredom, and and that and for me that was to pick up a drink. But um, thankfully, I didn't. I rang someone. Every single time I've had a craving, I've sought about the consequences. And thankfully, that's automatic for me now. Like I'll I'll have a craving, or or I'll think, oh gee, a glass of wine would be nice for dinner, or or a cold beer, and I straight away go to, all right, well, what would that look like? And um and and that backs you know helps the craving dissipate. Mm-hmm. The other times I've been in rage when I separated from my wife. Um, it was super super difficult and. I wasn't raging at her. I just was raging at something that happened around that time. And and to get away from that uncomfortable emotion, I wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Picked up the phone, rang someone, and I thought about the consequences. And um, they're, they're the two main sort of really kind of close and um, calls I've had. Yeah. Um, the, the other times, it's just a fleeting, wouldn't that be nice type thing. And, and, you asked if it had happened recently. I took my daughter snowboarding down to Threadlow a couple of weeks ago, and it's the first time I'd been in the snow since I had stopped drinking. I used to go to the French and Italian outs all the time, because like, that's what you did living over there. And um, at the risk of sounding like a waker. Um, it's so posh. <laughs> um, it's so posh, Ben. But they were easy to get to from, from the UK, but... Um, yeah. That's neither by, and it was involved snowboarding. Involved lots and lots of alcohol consumption. So I was back around it in Threadlow. My daughter was in snowboarding school, and I found it really prominent. What's the right way to describe it? I was I was like staring at people as they were walking past with their beers in their hand, and mm. and I'm like, oh wow, look at this. And so so even after all this time, it's it's still there and yep. um and i respect it you know like i don't treat it lightly for me for sure like the cravings still happen and and i kind of don't expect them not to happen yeah that's so great and thank you for sharing that because it's true like and i've shared it now a few times now when we got to broom recently and i've told you about it recently as well just this fleeting thing of oh a wine would be nice and ash had a similar thing of beer would be nice i think it was just the temperature and the white tablecloths and you know, the travel, it wasn't huge. It was just like it came and it was that bit of that moment and it kind of went. I had another one the other day, actually, where I was like somewhere and I was just like the thought of beer, I didn't even like beer, came into my mouth. and But then, you know, it just went, you know, it goes pretty quickly. But there's something that you said on one of the earlier podcasts that we did together where the, the craving for alcohol or the, the going to the alcohol, that pleasure response in the brain is like a well-worn racetrack and that it's this neural pathway that's always going to be there. And when we have a craving we and we don't give in, we create a new neural pathway. So we've got another track that's going on over here, but this track's always still going to be here. It's always there. And so when you say that I respect that, 
you know, that's just something that's always stuck with me. And it's one thing that I teach people in the, the challenge groups as well, is that that's always there, that neural pathway is always there, that well-worn track, but we can create new ones. So it's, yeah, it's great to have that, that respect for it and to, to know, and, and not to panic. Like it happens to us all. I think if someone said to you that they'd never, ever, ever had an, I just think that's utter bullshit. The next one is found that drinking or being sick from drinking often interfered with taking care of your home or family or caused job troubles or school problems. And that's the kind of what you're talking about before, Ben. Yeah. Look, it, it, it interfered with everything. Yeah. My marriage, like my rom- romantic relationship, my friendships in the end were heavily affected by it primarily because you know, I went to on a holiday weekend away with a good good old school friend of mine. We we both drank heavily together and I, I blacked out both nights. We were away and started abusing him. I had no idea and Ooh. and he, you know, and I noticed him distance himself from me after that and I was like, What's going on there? And eventually he told me. So, you know, it wasn't just my marriage, it was it was friendships as well. Um, my family was concerned massively um and I, and I was also had frayed relationships with them as well um work was hugely impacted i was very unreliable um mm. but it was good when i was at work um i did good work but um hugely unreliable mm. and so yeah definitely cr- across the board impacts on, on my life yeah well i'd say for me not so much this one but perhaps the work only in terms of that I wouldn't show up necessarily to my full potential the next day or I'd when I was actually working in a job for someone else, I'd call in sick often, but I also didn't like the job. But then when I was running Earth Bottles, there was I would just sort of put things on the back burner or I was a bit avoidant with work until I sort of got my head together and felt better. So in some ways, but then in terms of friends and family, I know that it didn't really affect that. But yeah, definitely in the work suffered, I'm sure, because of it. If I yeah. can just play devil's advocate for a moment, do you feel like your relationships with your friends and family have improved since you stopped drinking? Uh, well, it depends on the friends because some friends have disappeared. <laughs> don't have them anymore. Uh, we don't really have yeah, a relationship anymore with a lot of the people that we drank with. But I feel like the friendships that I do have are a lot deeper and much more meaningful. So in that way... Yes, like it's and sometimes yeah, because because sometimes I think even that first answer, Denny, that a lot of the friendships actually went by the wayside because you stopped. So for me, that that does answer that part of the criteria. Like we mm-hmm. we spend time with people that we would not normally spend time with, um, and I think the quality of the relationships slash friendships that we're in are nowhere near as deep as the ones that are afforded to us when we're not drinking. Or, yeah, I, f- I feel like there's there's scope for this one to be interpreted a little bit mm. on its side as well, um, just in terms of, because I had the same thing. I, there were a bunch of people I just stopped communicating with when I stopped, mm. and but that's my take on it. Yeah, I think that's a valid, that's a great point, actually. Yeah. I noticed the other day I went down to Melbourne, went to a really nice restaurant with a couple of friends, with a couple of my best friends, and they ordered a bottle of wine. There was a bit of that kind of, like, they ordered a really nice bottle and they drank the wine, but they stopped. Like, that's the other thing. Like, if I had been drinking, I would have got them totally fired up. 
had such a nice night. They just had a couple of wines and they were fine. They didn't get messy at all. In fact, one of them drove home. It was it was really interesting. But yeah, that those friendships, those sort of deep and long-standing friendships and then even your friendships are so much better. They're so much more meaningful. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I can feel love for my mates now. Like whereas when I drank, I, I I didn't. I was really self-absorbed. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I love I love the way you put that. Like the depth of it that comes mm. in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, continued to drink even though it was causing trouble with your family or friends. Yes. Ben? <laughs> That's just a yes. Just a, ve- just a very quick yes. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a no for me, that one, but I don't think it really caused trouble for family or friends. Maybe, you know, the odd kind of drunk and carry on abuse people, but that's not great. (laughs) Okay. So that's a yes from you. Given up or cut back on activities that were important or interesting that gave you pleasure in order to drink. So rather than doing something like going surfing in your case, Ben, you would not do it so that you could drink. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, for me, I used to run uh, like about four times a week. That really helped me with depression, but also just helped me feel good about myself. That totally stopped for for the two years prior because of my drinking. Um, we were living a fair way from the ocean, but I would try and get down to the beach in England or fly down uh, to to the continent to Europe to, to surf a couple of, you know a bunch of times a year or even go snowboarding um, and the, all of those activities in the end just sort of stopped and um, and even when I did and my, actually now that you bring it up when I did go to those places to surf I wouldn't surf because I was drinking like so I'd, I'd be down in France or down at um, Wallacombe in Devon and or Croyd Bay and just end up at the pub. Yeah, and I wonder if, I mean, I know this is talking about because of drinking, but even the next day a lot of people, you don't end up doing the, the thing that you love doing because you're so hungover as well. Um, I, I, that would be a no for me, but I wasn't really into anything as much, say, as someone like, like you, yourself or Ash. You know, Ash, I don't think you'd ever forfeit surfing if the surf was good, even when he was drinking a lot. But... There would, yeah, mm, that's an interesting one, that one. But yeah, totally. I can see that if you're a daily drinker, you would end up not doing those things that you love. But another, yeah. another one, maybe another way to look at it, Daddy, this is me just thinking, um, like a lot of people will, will when, when they're first trying to make a decision about whether they need to stop, this is with me in therapy, they'll, they seem to say, oh, I haven't picked up the guitar or I haven't. I haven't sat down and written or I haven't picked up the knitting needles, whatever it might be, or the paintbrush. Um, mm. I did. I do notice that a lot. Like I've, I've referred to my own quite physical hobbies, um, but people really seem to drop any form of creative endeavour because yes. of alcohol as well. So. Yeah, that's so true too. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, yeah, because I guess I was thinking physical stuff, but there's so many things that we end up just not doing because yeah, yeah. of drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and now the next one is getting into situations where you increase your chance of being hurt, such as drink driving, um, tick, uh, swimming, that's interesting, 
using machinery, walking in dangerous areas, having unsafe sex. Ben. Uh, it was... <laughs> Don't get yourself yeah, look, shit. Oh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, pretty much all of the above, maybe except the last one. Yeah, look, I remember walking home and having a kid pull a gun on me at a at a, a grocery look one of those 24-hour grocery stores and I was really drunk and and obnoxious and really dangerous I had car accidents drunk really lucky that no one was hurt and mm. uh that, thankfully they were very minor car accidents but yeah and constantly in some form of physical danger like where i'd get into an argument with someone and yeah and get sideswiped or yeah yes <laughs> yes yeah oh uh, fuck you were a mess no <laughs> uh, it's it's i must admit it's 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 a little bit disconcerting or dis uh, it's uncomfortable to go back over this stuff and and i feel like on some level and i don't want to get too esoteric but the, you, you wanting to talk about this stuff is actually really beneficial for my own sobriety mm. um because it's important that i go back there and remember i don't stay there um if anything i kind of avoid it i was a mess yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I'm I'm finding it really beneficial for myself too. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, it's like it's really good to remember. Uh, this is it's a good conversation. Uh, for me, early like definitely yes, absolutely yes. Especially drink driving. Oh my god, it's just ridiculous. Don't know about getting because we live in a fairly safe place, so that walking around in places not so much. But definitely in my early twenties, before Ash, like, who are you? Like, what? <laughs> Ending up with some yeah. rando from some pub that yeah. I remember once I left one in a sauna that was at this rental house that we had and I left him in the sauna. I said, I'm going to go get a drink and ran up to my sister's house who lived a few hundred meters up the road and went back the next day hoping he'd be gone. And he was, oh, thank God. And, you know, just all sorts of situations like that. Terrible. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I can relate like pre-marriage, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Very much the same thing. Yeah, so that's a yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so continue, So the next one is continue to drink even though it was making you feel depressed or anxious or adding to another health problem, shit, um, or having had a memory blackout. Well, bing, 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 bing. That's the yes, yes, yes for me. Ben, I know the answer. I, I, I feel like there should be a prize at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, great. You get the um, satisfaction of like, I'm not that guy. Uh, yes, again, I look, I had, uh, I was on antidepressants and um, they weren't working because of the alcohol. Um, alcohol is a depressant as well, so it was exacerbating a pre existing issue. Um, yeah, and I, I, I just kept drinking, you know. Like I, um, I also had put on. I think I remember getting on the scales, and I, I was twenty kilograms heavier than what I am now. Oh, wedding. Yeah, it was a lot, and and in spite of all that, I just kept going. I didn't care. I lost all. Yeah, 
uh, self-respect and care for my health. So yes, tick, unfortunately. Bing, bing, yeah. yeah, And I'm a definite tick. Mine was a mental health and just shocking anxiety, panic attacks, all that kind of stuff. And literally all that stopped. I don't really think, uh, maybe a couple here and there, a little bit of anxiety would creep in like in terms of panic attack, but not really. Not so, and I used to have them all the time, like really? all the time. Oh God, all the time. Yeah. Really to a pretty high degree actually. So, uh, that's a def- definite yes for me. And then also waking up hungover and then just having massive anxiety attacks, like heart racing and then going into thinking I'm going to die and all the rest of it, like really full on stuff and just hasn't really, I just haven't really had that since. So well, I know I ask, why do you think, what do you think helped you resolve the panic presentation? Like mm. the panic well, I think a lot of that was physical, like probably the, the alcohol oh, coming yeah. out of my system, but but I'd had chronic anxiety from when I was a teenager and that started from a, a hydro bong that I had. A friend's mum gave it to me and then I had a panic attack. That was the first one. It's like that opened the floodgates and I was just having such bad anxiety that I was too scared to go to sleep at night and scared I was going to die in my sleep. And there's a whole, there's reasons as to why that was, but uh, yeah, it was really, really intense. And then I found that I started drinking sometimes to stop anxiety attacks. If I was feeling a panic attack coming on a drink, thinking that would get rid of it. But then I was not putting two and two together that the next day, then I was having worse anxiety. So luckily I never drank in the morning to get rid of it. I never put that together in my head, thank God. But yeah, but honestly, once I stopped drinking, um, it's, they stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Is it yeah, yeah. a couple little ones time and like sometimes if I'm getting sick or something, a little bit would sort of creep in, but not very often, nothing like they used to. So yeah, so great. And that's a tick. <laughs> so yes. And it's funny though, but I did know, especially towards the end that I was definitely putting two and together. Like, like I'm waking up having a massive panic attack. I know it's because I'm hungover or I've been high from the night before, but it didn't stop me. So I just kept doing it. So yeah, that's a yes. Um, okay, so two more left here, Ben. So uh, the next one is had had to drink much more than you once did to get the effect that you wanted. So found that you, yeah, you weren't getting um, as drunk as easily, so you'd have to drink more. Yeah, I, I, I guess this is talking to, to us building up a tolerance um, of booze. And I definitely, absolutely, like I, I think uh, I would ever drink less than a bottle of wine a night and because it wasn't impacting me i i was also using cocaine a lot which meant that i could actually continue drinking like for long periods of time mm. and pretty vast quantities as well and quite often like i remember the very last night i drank quite clearly i had a whole bottle of port big bag of cocaine and it didn't even touch the sides. Ooh, yeah. And and I remember thinking, fuck, <laughs> I'm going into rehab tomorrow and that's like my last jaunt for a couple of weeks. That was my thinking at the time, like, oh, I'm just going to stop for a couple of weeks to have a break. But uh, big, big yes to this. Yeah, like it's, it wasn't working in the end. Yeah, yeah. The, what's the verb song? The drugs don't work, they just make you worse. Yeah, 
absolutely. Uh, that's a definite yes for me. I remember the first time I drank a bottle of wine to myself and I was like, whoa, I couldn't believe that I had a whole bottle to myself. And that was nothing in the end. I'd easily, well, I'd not easily do two bottles, but I'd like one bottle was never enough. It was always have to have a bottle and then a little bit more and, and then some. So yes, that's a definite yes for me. Absolutely. All right. And so the last one here is found that when the effects of alcohol were wearing off, you had withdrawal symptoms such as trouble sleeping, shakiness, irritability, anxiety, depression, restlessness, nausea, or sweating, or sense that things were there that were not there. That must be a hallucination. Uh, fuck yeah. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ben. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, this is possibly the one that I would answer no to. Yeah. Um, but mainly, like, I'd, I'd get a hangover, but... I'd recover from them reasonably quickly. Um, to put in context too, I didn't, in the end, for the last six, 12 months, I, I wasn't allowing myself to get a hangover. Um, so I, I, I can't answer this, uh, uh, you know, completely mm-hmm. to know. But I do, yeah, like some of those I would say yes to and some I'd say no, I don't. Never got any of that. Yeah. So, Right. I'm a yes to pretty much all of them, except for the hallucinations bit. Definitely didn't have that. From memory at the back of the DSM, the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, there's classifications. So you can either be like have the disorder and you meet it severe, moderate or mild. I think there's the three classifications and and if you the more you answer, the more you fall into the severe range. For me, I, I, like if you're dealing with someone in a binge cycle, I'm not too worried about a classification. Um, for me, the, the, the reason where the, the times in which the classifications help is for the severe cases. You can cut, you know, like not only are we, we saying you meet this criteria, you're actually fall within the severe range. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is a good next step? Say someone's listening to this and thinking, fuck. Yes, I do meet this criteria in a more severe way. You know, what do you think is a good next step for people? Like, is it time? Like, how do you know if I need? Like, if I do, I need to go to rehab? Do I need to go to detox? How do you know what you need? Like, what do you like? You went to rehab. I didn't. How like? How does one decide if they want to do rehab or not? Uh rehab is for really acute presentations where people have spent multiple, made multiple attempts to cut back, but with no, no, no wins and with cutting back. It's not something I necessarily recommend, but it's, it's a very good option for people that have had a longstanding issue and who, who are fall within the severe range, uh, or the, the, the moderate range as well. Like I think engaging with. Uh, your GP to talk about how you're going to come off alcohol, joining a group like the ones you run, the challenges, Danny, are absolutely vital. So having some type of support to going through the process of stopping. Mm. But but but, e- but even before all of that, it, with psychology, there's a method called motivational interviewing and there's a particular tool, which is mm. just common sense. <laughs> but there's a tool we use in, in motivational interviewing where you look at the positives and negatives of drinking. Separate to that, you look at the positives and negatives of stopping. 
and they're different to the, mm. like the positives of stopping are not the negatives of drinking. Mm -hmm. they're, they're quite different. Um, and that, like I go through that with people and, and not just with alcohol, but when they're trying to make a decision around change. And for me, for, for the listeners, that's actually one of the hardest parts of this whole process is, is, is deciphering or making a decision around whether you want to change or not. And when you go through the criteria, hopefully it identifies the severity of the problem and that then I, then tells you, okay, well, I'm severe. Uh, maybe I need to be looking at an inpatient facility, um, or, or if I'm severe, maybe I need to get my ass into AA, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, but something very intensive would be required if you're meeting the severe yeah. classification and for, for the others, I, I, you still need to have some type of support system around you in order to shift it. If yeah. you've made the decision to shift. It. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about this with Ash today, actually, that it doesn't really matter what the course is or who you go through or whatever. It's not actually the course that matters. It's that the, you're, you're wanting to change and then your awareness around your mindset with it, I guess, and your commitment to the change and just having people around you that are there to support you through that makes such a big difference. I actually had a friend call the other day. She's a, a family sort of friend. And she's a really severe, severe drinker and wanted some help. And I I knew it's sort of out of my scope to be able to help this particular person and suggested AA for her because I think, and she's also quite lonely. She lives on her own. And I think that kind of that community and the first thing she said was, no, nah, no, nah, not doing AA because it's, um, it's all the God stuff. And I said to her, this is one thing that always, Lyndall always says, just watch that that thing that you, the critical part of you is not the part of you that's just trying to keep you unwell as well. Or you try and look for things to take offense, take, you know, to take offense to things so that you don't have to participate in something. So you've really got to watch that. And so I talked to her around that and she came around actually, it was really good. She said, that's right. yeah, she said, oh yeah, I can see I'm probably doing that a little bit. Cause I said, that's bullshit. Like that's just old, like Lyndall calls it the God of her understanding. Like it's not necessarily about God per se. So, but anyway, for this person, I thought, great option. And she's actually went off to um, an AA meeting yesterday. Yay. And I think that's great because she needs the connection and she needs some community around her and some people that have been doing it really hard like she has been. So, you know, like, yeah, find, find and, support. And I think, Danny, that is the key, what you just said there, the connection. And no matter what level of classification you are, I think connection is big, big part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Absolutely. So it was really good. Thanks, Ben. I, I really found this really valuable too, because like, you know, it's just a great reminder and it makes me feel really stoked and really free to not have to, um, to think that, wow, or, or to, to be able to acknowledge how far I've come and how far I am away from that version of myself. And I'm so fucking stoked about that. How about you? Well, it's funny, uh, exactly the same for me. Uh, I don't drink these days because my life is so good. And I, don't get me wrong, I have my hard days, just like the next person. Um, but I feel vastly, vastly different and, and I feel much better about myself. And 
that's the reason why I don't drink. It's not through fear of what might happen and not through fear. That stuff does help me not drink. Mm. But primarily the reason why I don't drink is, is I've got this beautiful existence and um, and that's because I'm sober. I think we're all like in this special little club. It's like we're <laughs> all of us who have gone sober and have kind of done the work on ourselves. We've kind of, it's like we're in this little group of people. And I feel like we're really lucky. We're the privileged ones because we've been through something. All of us have been through something and we've done the hard yards and, you know, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy some of the time, but we've come through, we're on the other side. And I don't know, I feel kind of like, yeah, privileged, I think is the word I'd use for it, that I've got to do this and to stay sober and to do all this work on myself. And I'm really fucking stoked because if I had just been coasting along how I was before, I wouldn't have grown at all as a person. And so I'm so grateful for the whole journey and just, yeah, I would not change it for a fucking thing. I'm with you. Like I just would never want to go back to that. So life is better without it. Absolutely. It is a gift. It is a gift. Yeah. And I don't know. And it's also a gift to be able to pass it on to others. Um, Yeah. I'm not saying everyone should do that, but just... It gives us the ability to help people in some way, which is cool. Yeah, it's fucking cool. We are so cool, Ben. Who would have known? <laughs> <laughs> awesome, my friend. Well, thank you so much. So, um, Ben Schiller, you are—you know—you're open for practice. If people want to contact you to do some, do some of the work, you know, get into some of the old. Yeah, look, I, I, a lot of the people I seem to work with are. are I've got a bit of sobriety up. I, I don't do a lot of work with people that are trying to get sober. Um, I think there's your program is better served to do that type of thing. Um, but I definitely, once people have got about a year up or so, I've got a, num- a significant number of clients that we're now exploring um, the drivers of their drinking and attachment patterns and childhood stuff. And, and I love that. You know, it's really nice to be able to help people sift through the past and resolve it. And yeah, um, yeah that's pr- primarily, you know, alongside all the other disorders I see, but associated with alcohol, that's the type of thing I look at these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so awesome. And it's such a great next step for people to take that we we're talking about it earlier before we started the call that once you get to the 12 month mark and you're kind of over the woo and all that, then the real work begins. And then it's such a great time to engage with someone like yourself to sift through all the stuff and, and start the work on yourself. That's, that's, that's just beautiful. I think it's a beautiful journey. So yeah, amazing. I'll put links in the show notes, Ben, for um, how people can contact you. I'll also put links in the show notes for all of these criteria that we've just talked about so people can have a look. And um, I'm interested to hear people's reactions to this chat today. So thank you, Ben, for your time. I know it's very valuable. It's Sunday. You're a fucking legend. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Good to do. My pleasure. Thanks. See you, my friend. Bye. See ya. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.